Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz, New York, New York, Scouspell. <laughs> uh, New York's one true team, right? Indeed, I'm drinking. I'm, I'm drinking a Manhattan tonight in uh, in honor of New York's one true team. Yeah. All right, let's let's not wilt under the bright lights because the eyes of New York City and the greater New York market will be on these two teams. Right, that's why Rutgers joined to pull in that New York market and light up all that be Empire watching. State Building. Light it up. <laughs> to to be fair, the fact that we're on Sunday morning. The only game on national TV, Northwestern Rutgers, 11 a.m. on CBS, uh, 11 Central. I mean, the eyes of everyone are going to be on this game. And hopefully their eyes won't be bleeding uh, when the game is all said and done. But uh, by hook or by crook. All all those Jets fans in East Rutherford have trouble spelling knights with just four letters. That's a good point. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, by hook or by crook, the season is upon us. Um, we've had a few games uh, in week zero. Uh, we are no longer the national champions of Ireland. Um, thanks, Navy, for really showing up to play Notre Dame. Hey, uh, hey, a new national champion is crowned every year. That's Nobody could take that 2022 national championship away from us. Fair enough. Fair we, enough. We, we don't know that there's not some twisted Irish curse that comes along with winning that game. <laughs> we'll find out as Notre Dame's season progresses, but it could be one of those situations where, you know, we've passed the monkey paw to Notre Dame. We, we can only hope. <laughs> oh. No, I, it, here's where we are. We've, we've limped out of the summer. We're, we're finally here. We talked about it last week, but we are finally ready to, to preview an honest to God football game, although even by the minimal standards of week of pre-game material we are used to getting, it is a desert that we are in right now. Um, yeah, it is. Re- it's really tough to to preview a game or preview a team when you we literally have next to no idea what we're going to be looking at. I mean, we have right. we have we have some we have some guesses on what we're going to be seeing on defense. Um, we, you know, Braun came out in his press conference on Monday and said, "We've named a quarterback. We're not telling you. Um, they're going to be naming the they're going to be announcing the captains later this week. We're recording this on Tuesday night. There's not a whole lot of later this week uh, to be announcing this. It's like, you know, we're we're up on it. it it's game week, and like we know." nothing at this point i mean real 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 talk like go look at instagram highlights on nu football family's feed you could pretty much figure out who the starting quarterback is um which is which just highlights how stupid this is yeah i i need to i I need to get on um get on a bit of a rant here and just like the fact that we're not doing two deeps anymore like oh, any no one is doing it i mean harbaugh started this at michigan a couple years ago and last year it spread um you know we haven't been doing two deeps for a while and now it seems like nobody is doing two deeps and it's just ridiculous like 
what what is it for? Like why why are you why are we like withholding this? It's it's for the fans. It's for the the people watching the games to get interested and to get in and to learn more about the team. What when right. they when they started it was like, "Oh, there's this competitive disadvantage by tipping your hand to other people." Bullshit. I, yeah, I call that's, that's I call nonsense. bullshit on that. It's, it's it's a crock because you know what? You look at the in the NFL tr- training camp, you've got teams doing uh, you know scrimmages, doing joint practices leading up to preseason games, um, and across the board, everyone is fine with it because it's like oh yeah, they're what they're going to be practicing stuff. No one has any secrets. There's film on everything. It's not like you're you're practicing something that's going to all of a sudden turn the tide of a game. There's nothing no one has, ha, nothing no one hasn't seen on video out there. So like, I, the the competitive advantage nonsense is is just that. It's nonsense. So Shiano, so what Shiano, are we doing? What are Shiano we doing? Paid- Shiano paid lip service to that concept in his presser today and that he talked about like, oh, we don't know if it's, you know, Ben Bryant and, and Brendan Sullivan are pretty different. Like we're going to prepare for both, but, you know, it's, we don't know which one it's going to be. But the reality is like you're going to prepare for both anyway. Yeah. Like, like, right. What what if one of them gets hurt? Like you're going to prepare for a pocket passer. You're going to prepare for a running quarterback. Like it's it's just it's regardless of whether or not there's a depth chart. And also, by the way, like. For a long time, we put out depth charts with oars on it, which I was perfectly comfortable with. Um, I mean, like again, like to Sam's point, like it is for it is for the fans, and unfortunately, I like my perception here is like because like Alabama has you know kind of famously joined the ranks of this now. Um, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, and it like more than anything, it feels like a middle finger that these these coaches are trying to give to the media, like. Like, oh my, I'm boo boo faced because you know, as a as a seven figure, you know, salary guy in front of a of a you know major brand uh, of college football team, I can't handle tough questions from the media about my my depth chart. Like, come the come the f on. Like, but, just, but this but is stupid. To what end, though? I mean, exactly. Like, to what end? Like, the media is there to to educate the fans, the fans who are paying to see the games, who are paying the salaries of the coaches who are not paying the salaries of the players because there are no salaries of the players. That's a whole other soapbox I'm not getting on tonight. But, like, it doesn't do the teams any good to be, like, in the dark because people want to, like, there's a reason, like, all these preseason magazines are as popular as they are. There's a reason people buy Phil Steele year after year. There's a reason people buy Athlon year after year. There's a reason people watch game day and watch, like, all the pregame shows because they want to know about the teams. And for the the fact that the teams are like, oh, we don't want to share anything, that's that's horseshit. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't – it's all – in the case of Northwestern this year, you definitely don't have to work too hard to talk me into the fact that they may not – that they may barely know themselves. And, and that's true. The – you're absolutely right, though. I mean, again, it's like if you know who the QB is going to be. I mean, to your to your point about Greg Schiano, it's not like Greg Schiano is going to take Coach Braun at his word when Braun's like, we're going to pick one quarterback and go with it. Schiano's going to be like, no, your top two quarterbacks are literally polar opposites of each other. I'm going to have to prepare for both and assume that you might play both regardless of what you say. Now, in reality, we may only play one, but... It's, it is. I mean, it, it, 
it costs nothing to just release a depth chart and be. I think we all know that we as a fan base are particularly feisty about this because we had we were one of the first to get rid of it. But prior to that, we had genuine obfuscation and deception going on on our depth chart on a week-to-week basis that basically long diminished the value of that depth chart even before we got rid of it. And there was really, to both of your points, no reason for any of that. There's just nothing. And again, I am inclined to give a lot of rope this season because of the special circumstances that we're in right now. Because otherwise, I'd be like, after what this fan base has been through, you should be bending over backwards to provide for this fan base in in any way possible, even if it's as small as writing some names of players down on a sheet. Awareness of where you are. But again, I do believe that within that, like within this team right now, there is so much flux that you know, we don't know that they, like, they probably have things figured out, but, you know, for example, offensive line, the starting unit you see in the offensive line, like that may not even be that same unit by the end of the game, or it may be a different group or a different order of the guys that we see against UTEP than it is against Rutgers. Like this is all very much in flux, but yeah, like none of us, are holding our breath waiting for a Rutgers depth chart to be released either. And it could be that, yeah. that at the end of the day, we're just kind of guessing at, at what both of these teams are going to be putting out on the field, educated guesses. It's the honesty and the transparency that rankles me the most. And we, we can move on to talking about the actual you know teams and what we expect to see in a second here. Um, but that like that's what bothers me because like I, I like like let's like laser focus on Northwestern. Honesty and transparency are a problem for this university <laughs> top to fair. bottom right now. And you could do like the bare minimum. And it's not even fan service. Just like, just be honest with us. We've, t- we've talked about this in the past a lot with Fitz. Just be honest with us and say, hey, guys, like we could put out a two deep. It wouldn't be meaningful because we're going to play like 60 guys on Saturday. And I, it's just like, just say that. I, I just want to, and, and even if the, even okay if it's a that. white lie, I'm okay with that. But like the whole, like, oh yeah, we're just we're just not going to name a quarterback, and we're not even going to address it. We're going to pretend it, it doesn't exist, and it, you know, it's not something you guys care about. Like, go to hell. I, w- I want to lean into just how. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're not going to get a depth chart. We did, however, get quote unquote game notes for this week. And if you look at <laughs> Northwestern's game notes for this week. I'm just gonna take what's in the box. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take you through it, okay? They're like, let's talk about Xander Mueller. Great, super. Let's do that. Let's talk about Bryce Gallagher. Awesome, still with you. Let's talk about Thomas Gordon. Sweet, great. Sounds like we're isolating all of these elite players. Great. Let's talk about these two exciting wide receiver additions, Cam Johnson and AJ Henning. Great, cool. Sounds like we are identifying all of the impact players. Let's talk about Cam Porter as feature back. Perfect. Still with you. And then the D- D-line transfers. The D-line transfers. Cool. Makes sense. Meet the quarterbacks. There are five <laughs> names listed. Ben Bryant, Brendan Sullivan, Jack Lausch, Ryan Holinsky, and Cole Freeman. It's like almost like a parody of itself at this point. Um, and again, yep. and, and yep. To, to what end, what purpose does all of this serve? No purpose. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah. It, yeah. It's not going to have a bear. I, I, I do need to amend my earlier statement because um, I have been mistaken about something I've been watching on Instagram for a while, and that is seeing uh, a number of clips of number six throwing footballs. That's actually Brendan Sullivan. Yeah, changed his number. Uh, he changed his number. I had just assumed that he was still number 10 and that Brian had come in. Like, I, I was kind of surprised by that. So I, I'll i be honest, I am legitimately now questioning who's going to be the starting quarterback. I, I thought it was going to be Brian all along. I'd, be, I'd still be pretty surprised if it's not. But um, I guess I'll give a little bit of additional credit to, to the Northwestern, like, social media crew for being, you know, like, supporting the caginess on this front. Um, but it's still dumb. And, like, to what, to, like what's the point? There, so I, I will say this, and in kind of an in interest of transitioning to this game as best we can transition to this game, <clears throat> in my kind of searching around for any kind of depth chart, because I think we've kind of been looking to be like, well, let's maybe Rutgers releases a depth chart later this week, but there's a really good chance that they won't because everyone seems to be hopping on that bandwagon. But if they don't, let me look out and just see, has anything changed? Is there any, like, updates? So, long story short, it led to me kind of looking around out through, like, Rutgers football journalism to the extent that that exists and just kind of, like, digging around and seeing. And what you do get is not so much a, a specific picture of exactly what Rutgers personnel is for this game, but honestly, I think we kind of covered this during the summer, it doesn't really matter a heck of a lot. You're going to get the broad strokes of what this team is. But what I really did get a sense of from looking around is there is the sense of almost a mirror reflection when you're looking at this Rutgers team. You come up on things like Rutgers is just dreadfully low in season ticket sales and season ticket renewal right now. There is a total sense of apathy around the program. This is a program that is averaging two Big Ten wins a year during the Greg Schiano era, which again, Greg Schiano has been with Rutgers in this stint as long as Mike Bajakin's been our offensive coordinator. So it's the same time period. <clears throat> but Rutgers has averaged 1.6 Big Ten games, Big Ten wins a year for the past decade. It's just total apathy over there. And you can look at their season last year, and yeah, they won four games. They eked out three wins against dreadful football teams. Boston College, Temple, and Indiana, and then they beat a bad FCS team in Wagner. And those were their wins. And basically, they won their first three games against three really bad teams, and then went out into the desert, just like we did. Both of these teams have not sniffed consistent winning in months, you know, not since the beginning of last season, right? It's the two worst offenses scoring-wise in the conference. Both of these teams scored more than 24 points in a football game last year once, and Northwestern is the only one of the two that did it against an FBS team. Um, It is, both of these teams are in a dark, dark place, but I think one of the things, and I suppose if you're going to extend an olive branch to this quarterback situation and this ridiculous obfuscation that we're talking about, right, it's for these two teams... All wins will be hard won next season, and each one will be worth its weight in gold. And only one of these teams can take a win out of this game, and both of these teams are going to throw everything that they have into this. Wow, when you say throw everything, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like 
I legitimately don't know what to expect for Northwestern on offense. I would be stunned if it wasn't a heavy dose of Cam Porter. But I am quite certain that on the Rutgers end, it will be a heavy dose of uh, Samuel Brown and Kyle Monagai. Um, because, you know, Gavin Wimsett has been... So, like, Gavin Wimsett has been named, publicly named, the starting quarterback for Rutgers. There's not a two deep. But everyone's like, yep, Wimsett's starting. Um, he played last year. He was really bad. They've changed their offensive coordinator. He was a true freshman last year. So, uh, but he's also like pretty high pedigree, right? So you should expect a lot of, a lot of improvement from him, but they lost their, their two best wideouts. They don't have a lot of continuity in their, in their receiver core. They're going to lean on the running game. Um, this is a Greg Schiano coached team of like that mirror image, John, like very similar to the philosophy of Fitz you know, run in defense first and then uh, everything else is a, is a break glass situation. So they are going to run. It's it like, you know, a fourth grader could look at Northwestern from last year and the depth chart, you know, potential depth chart coming into this year and understand that that's the best chance of winning. We talked about this a lot last week as we, you know, went back to Mark Whipple and the game, the preposterous game plan that Nebraska had. And then, you know, what that, you know, some of that film unlocked for the rest of the big 10 when playing Northwestern, it's the reality. That's what Rutgers is going to do um, on the Northwestern. Like if they have to throw for some reason, either because Northwestern is scoring points or has figured out how to um, be a little bit better against the run with a new defensive coordinator, with a new scheme, uh, with some new players, et cetera. That's, that that's where there's going to be a bit of a question mark for Rutgers. Can they avoid turnovers? Can they, you know, can whims it, operate against the rush on third down can um has he has he built up enough uh relationship and continuity with his with his receivers to um move the ball in in that way so we'll we'll have to see um on the northwestern side as as you heard us talk a lot last week like the offense like we, we could see them roll out exactly what we've seen in the last two years i'll be honest that would be a great disappointment from my perspective we could also from all see, of our perspective i think yeah yeah, we could we could also see you know an AJ Henning, Ben Bryant, and or Brendan Sullivan and Cam Porter type offense that is so much more dynamic and vertical and uh, interesting to watch. And if that's what we get, like, I mean, who knows? Like this this game this game really could go either way. It's a close matchup. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, it really is. I mean, and again, those seven points that Rutgers is getting at home show you just how much people are conscious of the disaster that befell Northwestern this season, because Rutgers truly was a mess last year. And they're, they're in a really weak situation. I mean, it's funny, like looking around, like was looking at some of the projections and finding projections from like Rutgers writers that are very glass half empty. I mean, like I'm looking at the defense and, you know, when we talked about Rutgers this summer, I talked about the fact that, like, look, Rutgers tends to have three good linebackers and not much else, and that's what they have this year. And then I'm looking at the, like, various previews online, and people are like, yeah, and, like, if any of those linebackers get hurt, it gets really bad really fast. And I was like, okay. Like, they 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 get it. They, they proverbially know the score over there. But I think one of the interesting things was – listening to Greg Schiano's press conference, you listen and you see a lot of the classic coach speak and trying to go through and, 
he's listing all these guys as like experienced and you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, like we, we have guys who've played a bunch of football games. Sure. Um, but he specifically singled out Cam Porter in very specific fashion. He made it clear that he considers Cam Porter to be this bowling ball running back. He made it very clear that he understands exactly what the injury situation with Cam Porter was. And basically everything we talked about, the whole year after the year thing we talked about in our preview, Sean was very aware of that. And I think if you look at him, what he's thinking about is they're going to try to hammer us with Cam Porter. And I've got to minimize the damage there. And I think we're all hoping that, right? We're all hoping we have a healthy Cam Porter. As Scuzz made very clear last week, though, Bajakian has been really quick to turtle shell with Cam Porter and resort to just wildcat charging Cam Porter into the line kind of situation stuff in the past, which is going to negate any of that. Like if you think that the, again, those three linebackers, the heart of Rutgers defense are going to have trouble dealing with that. They're not going to have any trouble dealing with that. If that's what we go to throw out any Cam Porter effectiveness, it's got to be some sort of balance. Well, let me, let me, let me throw out the upside there. And the upside is what, what Mike Bajakian did at Boston college in 2019, which is, and I, and I forget the name of the back who was, um, who was really fantastic, but, um, Cam Porter, 220-pound, Big Ten running back, experienced, powerful. You saw what he could do. He was, like, hard as nails to bring down uh, in the Big Ten championship game by Ohio State. I Like, I think Northwestern has gotten way too cute and way too dependent and way too predictable in that Wildcat formation. What Bajakian did in 2019, there, there weren't no Wildcat, folks. It was handoff to the running back, power running over and over and over again, and then play action, vertical attack to tight ends off of that. And if, you know, if if like if we can soften up these linebackers and force them to step up with that power running attack with a running back that we know can deliver the goods and, and an offensive line that's good at decent at run blocking. Um, Porter's a very different player than Evan Hull, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And, and John made the great point last week about the year after the year, a, a coin, a, a phrase coined by Bill Simmons. And if you, you know, Porter played last year, but he wasn't a hundred percent healthy. He wasn't a hundred percent recovered. And if he really can get back to the level we saw his freshman year in this season, like that portends a really potentially potent offense. I don't know that Bajakian still has that fastball. We'll see. But that's like, that's what good looks like on on Sunday. Well, it's funny, like looking at the game notes, right? Like they highlighted Thomas Gordon in the Northwestern game notes, which first of all, fantastic, because as we stated, Thomas Gordon is like, if you were going to tell me, hey, you know what? Thomas Gordon's going to be your best offensive player this year. I'd be like, scans. That makes perfect sense to me. That guy's <laughs> potential is sky high. And in the limited action he got when he was healthy at the beginning of last season, he was at times fantastic. And they talked about in the game notes that he is graded out as an elite pass blocker last week last year and I would counter that by saying like Thomas Gordon's elite at everything like I, he's an elite tight end and we should be trying to get the ball into his hands as often as possible I don't want to read that as we're putting Thomas Gordon on the field as much as possible because we need that extra guy to block and it's gonna be and I'm like oh boy like I guess whatever grinds out a win at the end of the day but I want to hope that we can have enough faith in our offensive line that that 
we can get him on the field to get him downfield. And like Scuzz, like Scuzz was saying, at Boston College, in that one year, they threw the tight ends downfield a lot. And I think tight ends with a lot of, less pedigree than Tom Stewart. Yeah, and I might right. Add. Yep, yep. Right. And again, I think like they talked about that Thomas Gordon, I think he only caught like 12 balls last year. And it felt like way more than that because a couple of those catches were spectacular catches. And he had a couple monster games and then got hurt. And it's like, if he's ready to go, I mean, like, throw to him. Again, it's Rutgers. They don't have, like, send him at their corners. Send him at their safeties. Those guys are not at his caliber if he's healthy and ready to go. And, but, again, like, I think I kind of went down a little bit of a, like, a rabbit hole after Shiano's comments about Porter and thinking about it. And, of course, thinking about the rough way like we said that porter's been used in the past and and the danger i think in all of our minds that this could devolve into just throwing him into the line but it certainly is true when you go back through we know that a lot of these guys that are going to be starting on this offensive line have been in the two deep for a couple of years now but the degree to which they have all worked together in the same unit is basically non-existent um these uh, this is not going to be a group of guys who have played together at, at times, like two of them, like Tiernan and Franks played, both started against Illinois. Preeb and Tiernan started much earlier in the season. You saw Rather at, you know, at times, but the five guys that we're probably going to be looking at in this unit, those guys have never played alongside each other, not in any fashion like you're going to be seeing in this game. And that very much is going to have an effect on our ability to run, our ability to pass, our ability to do anything. And I think, you know, like we want to see holes open up for Porter. We want to see time to to unlock like an AJ Henning or, you know, or a Kurtz or Johnson. Right. But we, you know, we really don't know the degree to which this offensive line is, is going to be squared away right off the bat. And, and again, it's, it's we're facing a team Rutgers that is dealing with a lot of the same kind of problems. Like neither of these teams are, are in a good place right now. Well, I, I think the one thing that's worth, worth noting is that a problem Rutgers doesn't have is you, John, you talked a lot about their linebackers, but I think it's important to note too, that they have retur- three returning starters on their D line. Their nose tackle is, um, you know, they, they graduated a nose tackle, a 290 pound guy who was, who was decent last year. They're replacing with another 295 pounder. Um, but when you look at their rush, their rush yards allowed last year, the stats, it's the best run defense they've had in a decade. I, I, I don't think you can call this strength on strength because we don't quite know what Northwestern's offensive strength is, but, um, it's just, I, I, I like, I think everybody here is, I, I, I did this earlier today. I, I saw a preview, you know, in a, in a New Jersey newspaper, and it's like, oh, the defense is going to be a strength just like last year. And I kind of chuckled to myself, like, ah, of course it is. Like, great, right. that's good for us. But, like, the reality is, is, like, actually, like, their defense has been better than you think it has been. And they return a lot of those players. And so not that that means that they're going to be greatly successful or be or able to shut Northwestern down. I just, like, I think I think people's knee-jerk reactions to think Rutgers and be like, oh, yeah, we should be able to run on them. Well, I, I don't know. Remains to be seen. Well, so they're... There's a big asterisk next to what you're saying, Scuzz, but it's really important for both of these teams this season, which is Rutgers played six awful football teams last year. 
And, I mean, awful football teams. Of that group, the best was Michigan State. So that should give you an idea of, like, the six teams that I'm talking about here. And the other six games Rutgers played, they got obliterated. But they eked out four wins out of those other six games. And you can look and be like, as rough as this team was, right, they were a one-point loss to Nebraska. And what was it, a seven-point loss to Michigan State? Maybe even less than that from bowling last year. Like, that's how close the margins were. And that's kind of one of the things to remember relative to how big this game is for both of these teams is to your points, guys, Rutgers played six really bad offenses last year. And in those six games, their defensive line was not good, but it was enough to not be debilitating for the three linebackers behind the defensive line. Well, 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 if, if, If I can jump in and like accentuate your point, um, Michigan State ran for 197 yards at a 5.6 per carry clip. That is um, the like the only times that Michigan State even sniffed those kind of numbers were when they played Western Michigan, Akron, and Indiana. So that does that does color the the Rutgers defensive like uh, plot, plot, plaudits that I just I just articulated um, quite directly. But it does go to show, too, right, that if you're playing a bunch of bad teams, like, it goes to, like, Northwestern last season, right? Like, it's where you step back and you're like, we could have beat Southern Illinois, Miami of Ohio, Maryland, Duke, Purdue. Like, that would have been 5-7 and seven instead of 1-11, and 11, which, by the way, 5-7 and seven would be a dream result this season, right? And it's like... You're going to play some bad teams. We talked about it that this year is the same as last year. Like, it's not like the Big Ten's great shakes when you look like it's an extreme amount of transition. And you look at a game like this and you're like, look, this may be brutal football to watch. But the fact remains if Northwestern wins this game, Northwestern has an excellent chance of getting to the Nebraska game at three and three. And potentially being looking at a Nebraska team that might be a just a total mess and is our only win from the previous year and being like, we're playing to have a winning record after seven games. And I mean, it's like, it's super easy to map out. To make that scenario happen, you have to beat Rutgers, UTEP, and Howard. And it's like, we it's easy to roll your eyes at a game like Rutgers-Northwestern. And then you're like, yeah, but losing games like this is what crippled this team last season. You've got to win these games. And it's like there's there's no there's no magic thing here. It's all like Northwestern fixing Northwestern's own issues. Like there is no mystery hidden thing behind the curtain for Rutgers. Like their fans are just as aware of that as we are. And it's very much like there's a lot of apathy in that program. There's a lot of feeling of that they're just grinding their gears. It's going to be in no way a full stadium. It's probably going to be a half full stadium for this game. Um, and like, look, like you find a way to win a game like this. And it's like if Northwestern's going to pull something out of this season, we're going to know in week one because like this is it. Like you've got to go find a way. If it's by one point, if it's by two points, like 
this is one of those ones that will make the difference in the aggregate. Well, maybe to that point, like we should focus a little bit on like what, what we, what we're going to be watching for in this game. Cause I, I do think it's going to be relatively tight, relatively low scoring. Both teams are going to, you know, have some screw ups, but what, like, what do you, what are you guys looking for that is going to inform how you see the rest of this year potentially playing out? I mean, I, I just want to see if we're able to, to move the ball, if we're able to convert on third down. Cause like, I, how many times last year did we see drives just stall? Because like, you know, we get to third and six and we didn't have an answer for that. If we can keep drives moving, if we can keep possession, if we can keep, you know, getting down the field, getting into scoring range, that that would tell me something, you know? I, and I think on, on the flip side, I, I, I think it's just common sense. Can we stop the run? I mean, John hammered that home last week as well as anyone possibly could have how critical it is that we're able to stop the run sammy i wish i had third down conversion numbers on hand what i do have on hand is um phil Steele has this really cool stat called uh yards per point so so basically an understanding of like how many yard for, for every yard you gained or, or, for, or for every point you scored how many yards did you have to gain before you got that point um and basically, like, this was the worst number that Northwestern has seen in forever. Wow. Typically, Northwestern's, like, in the 14 to 15 range. It was 24.4 yards per point last year. Like, the offense was really bad, but it also really struggled to score even when it got in position. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a five-point drop-off from, from 2021, which we also know was a really bad offense. And so, for, for me, like, yes, third downs, but... For me, it's points. Most specifically, can this team score? Well, when, I've, I've, when I've, they have the opportunity, I've got our third down conversions right here, thirty-seven percent. Yeah, Oof. I think so. I suppose to get into the weeds on the defensive part, in terms of like things that I'm looking to to, to see, questions that I'm having. As Scuzz has mapped out, Rutgers is probably just going to try to hammer the football here. Um, and I, it's what I would do. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. I'd hammer it right up the middle. Every single play. That is what I would do a hundred percent if I was Rutgers. And I mean, again, we talked again and again, and again about these two freshman defensive tackles and how much they need to play. But let's step, like, let's say for a second, let's operate under the, the, the idea that it's not going to work that way, at least right off the bat, and that we don't get the sunshine and rainbows thing that we want. And let's say that it's one of our transfer defensive tackles and Najee star story starting in the middle of the defensive line to kick the season off. Well, I'm curious if Northwestern will cr- try to crazy overcompensate for that the way they were able to do against Penn State and Ohio State because of the weather situation and just roll the dice and be like, look, let's just let's roll the dice. The Rutgers quarterback just sucks today. And we're just going to ride the lightning on that. And if that's true, like this folds into the general thing of it starts with, for me, where will Rod Hurd play this season? Because Rod Hurd was a mix. He played that star position a lot, which put him closer to the line of scrimmage. But there are were situations where Will we play Grayson Metz as a third linebacker all the time and then put Rod Hurd at safety basically just so we can roll Rod Hurd up and just flood the box and put, you know, try to get Rod Hurd as many free tackles as possible? Like, will it be 
Hurd and Coco Azuma at safety. Um, will that put Mets on the field? Is there someone that we haven't seen? Like, for example, like an Anto Saka, where Braun is like, look, I've like, I love Mets. I love the way he moves around, but I got to put beef on the field because like we're trying to do that. Now, again, we can go back a couple of seasons and like we know from experience that's just fool's gold. Like big linebackers don't compensate for whatever's going on in the defensive line. But I am curious to see if something like that will happen. I mean, I guess if I had to guess right now, I'd say that against Rutgers, you probably are going to see Gallagher, Mueller, and Metz, and then Heard behind them. But then there are like other problems that come with that. Not problems, but interesting questions. Like, I consider Devin Turner to be one of the best available defensive players Northwestern has. So if you roll out a lineup like that, how does Devin Turner get on the field? You have to figure that out because like in that situation, he's not nominally on the field. Um, do you move him out to cornerback or, you know, like if not, like it's, it's interesting question. And there are some different things Northwestern's going to piece out. I wouldn't be surprised though, if you do see those three linebackers with just Hurd and Azima playing crazy downfield behind him. And we just basically pull out all the stops and just go run a hundred percent come what may. Um, but I guess, you know, we're just going to have to see as it, as it rolls out. Six and a half points is the line over under 39 and a half right now. Weather should not be a factor. 73 degrees and sunny projected in uh, New Jersey on Sunday. So, yeah, again, I mean, it's like, I can't stress enough. I mean, both of these teams have ridiculous trouble scoring points. Um, it is, these are two teams that all of last season were lucky to break 20 points in a football game. And it's, so, I mean, again, like maybe that, that benefits Northwestern. Maybe it's enough for us to, to get downfield and, and find some positive momentum for this defense going forward. But it really is true that it, it really is a big football game for this team. Obviously, we're gonna, all going to be using it as a barometer because we know so little about this team. But it really is an important game. A win, taking a win out of this is going to be an incredibly valuable win. And it does set up a potential situation where Northwestern could be 500 six games into the season, which for a season like this, that's like practically a miracle. So it it's a big one. I have a question, and this just sort of popped into my head. How beneficial do you think it is that we're starting this season on the road? I I I don't know that that really matters that much for no, Northwestern. Okay. Okay. Because I like I just like a home game in Northwestern doesn't come with the pressure of a, of a home game for other teams. I I do think we have heard we have heard in the past that, and it's not just this team. Like we've heard this about like the basketball team or the softball team. Like being on the road can help the team bond can help the team come together and, and find that shared purpose. That, that's kind of uh, where I was going with it. Yeah. But so I like, there are probably some nice, there are probably some distractions at, at, you know, starting in, in Evanston that they can get away from, but they're going to have to face those in week two anyway. So I don't know that it's that, that big a deal. I think it's nice that we get to start with Rutgers. I mean, Imagine if we were going to Michigan State as banged up as like as 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 rough as we feel like Michigan State is like or imagine we were going to Penn State to start the season or one of our Big Ten Big Ten West right like this is the last two times we played Rutgers we beat them 21-7 in 2021 a year we were really bad um Ryan Holinsky played a great 
a great game. Uh, Northwestern stopped Rutgers. Like this, this Rutgers team is not dramatically better than they were two, two years ago. Um, and then we beat them 18, 15 in, uh, 2018 when Northwestern had a much better team and probably should have beaten them by more. Um, but I guess that just kind of underscores like, this is going to be low scoring. It's going to be, um, I mean, unless we see a dramatic change in philosophy from Northwestern on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to be, you know, probably similar to what we've seen in the past. And I think it's, I think it's nice for Northwestern to be able to start with that familiar territory as opposed to having to go to a more intimidating place to play. If you well, will. I was going to, I was going to say that too. Like if you look at the away games, the, I mean, when's the first, like more than half full stadium? Rutgers, UTEP, U- Rutgers on the road, UTEP at home, Duke, who like always has horrible attendance. Um, Duke at Duke, home against. But they, Duke was Duke was good last. They were year. good like, last year, but I don't know that that has yeah, a but, impact on I their mean, attendance. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Now, if they if they upset Clemson week one, maybe that changes. But yeah, I mean that's short true. of short of that, it's not going to be a full stadium. It's just, and then Minnesota at home. If we were going to Penn State, but it'll be at Penn State now, they will probably travel pretty well. They they travel, but they net like that is a they never the Penn State game at Northwestern is never like Ohio State or Iowa or Wisconsin or Michigan. It's just different. The distance is far. Penn State does not have a huge fan like like alumni base in Chicago. Um, this is not a year where I would expect Penn State fans to be traveling in droves. Like, there's no way the stadium sold out for that. I think it's 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 October 21st at Nebraska. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, sure. right? Because, like, Howard, it's all due respect to Howard, that's probably going to be the lightliest attended homecoming game that any of us can remember. And then, right, I think that yeah. game at Nebraska, where, again, credit to the Huskers fans, as bad as that team may be by October 21st, they are still going to pack that stadium. But that will probably be the, the first really full stadium this team is sees. It's yeah. going to be a... It's going to be a quiet stretch. That's for sure. The, it's, I mean, the full seasons, they're, the full stadiums they're going to say are, see are at Nebraska. I mean, Wrigley will be full with Iowa there, but that's like that's not going to have the same feel as a college football stadium because like the fans are not on top of the, the playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of of. I mean, the sidelines are you know, basically a third of a baseball stadium each. So that's going to be weird. at Wisconsin. Will be you know, like 100 percent packed, and then. You know, the home game against Purdue, unless Purdue's like in the mix for the championship, which I don't think they will be. And then at Illinois on Thanksgiving, like Northwestern's going to see three full stadiums all year. That's kind of weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess the theme you could kind of say is this, right? Like, this game, at least for like as a lot of the rest of the nation, is going to be concerned. Like, may a lot of it really may take place in the dark, right? And, there are a lot of games that can be won in the dark in this season. Like when no one's looking, you get a Rutgers, you eke a game against Rutgers, however ugly it is, you get by UTEP. Who cares how Duke goes? Who cares how Minnesota goes? Who cares how Penn State goes? You beat Howard. You're three and three. Squeak out a win against Nebraska. You're four and three. And then I don't know. You still could get your clock cleaned the next three weeks in a row, eke out a win against Purdue, and be playing Illinois for a bowl game. It's like, that's that's the shakes. And it's going to be done ugly. It's going to be done in not very full stadiums. But 
if it's going to happen, it's going to be a path something like that. And again, it's like you can find wins. You can find ways to win ugly. You can find ways to pull it off and, and again, by hook or by crook, pull these things together and pull something out of this season. Uh, speaking of full stadiums, and this is a bit of a non sequitur before we uh, transition, um, did you guys see that uh, on Wednesday, Nebraska volleyball is playing at Husker Stadium. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna have like they might set the record for a like, for attendance at a women's women's sporting event like over what 90, 90 some odd thousand, one close to ninety two thousand fans. That's yeah. incredible. It's, that's it's freaking awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that they're doing that. I hate that it's Nebraska, but that's really really cool for them. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. So before be, I I don't know if this will be the last chance to do this, but since we're probably about to pivot off this game and because this is the last time before we'll have actually seen this team play, let's try to like go optimistic for a little bit. Like things that could happen that would just be like let's just put on our rose rose-colored glasses for a little bit and just say like, you know, like like, what if A.J. Henning's back there returning a punt, and he makes some electric punt return against Rutgers? He took one back against UConn last year. Why couldn't he take one back against Rutgers, right? Um, he takes one back that covers the spread right there, right? Um, and maybe Ben Bryant comes out, and maybe he is that dude that he's been for the past couple of years, and the line gives him enough time, and he catches A.J. Henning in stride, or he catches Kurtz in stride, and like they, you know, like we find some sort of opening or something like that. Like it could happen like that chance, right. Or that like Ty Gant comes out in this game and just manhandles the Rutgers center for an entire game. And we're like, Holy shit, that guy is for real. And then like, we're suddenly like we pick up a win and we're going into UTEP with hope or something like that. Like it could happen. Like I, like, I just I want to try to put myself in that place to believing something like that could happen. So I I'll be honest, like as you were talking, John, about like the we could we could come out of the first six games three and three. If two of those three things you just talked about hit, like we could come out of the first six games four and two. Minnesota, we could, we could right? definitely we could definitely knock off Minnesota. Um, I like we could be we could be playing Purdue for for bowl eligibility if if things go you know, in, in, in the, in, in the, in the things fall in the right way. And, and I think it's important to note, like everyone, like when, at this, at this time of the year, everyone, and we are guilty of it as well, is looking at college football teams in, in relatively black and white fashion. These teams are good and these teams are crap. And 95% and of that is based on what happened last year. A lot of it is based on what happened last year. And, and, and the reality is every year, the crap teams especially the ones that were crap last year. There's, there's some reversion to the mean, you know, luck starts to swing the other way. And it, you know, you don't go from one win to 10, but going one win to five or six is pretty, pretty 
standard par for the course in college football. And I do think that, especially because of everything that transpired this summer, and rightly so, everyone's writing off this team. And I, I don't, I'm not, you know, this is not a nobody believes in us articulation. It's just like, I think, I think, you know, we talked about it last week, like the easy read on Northwestern is, oh, the offense is going to suck because it's sucked for years. Well, it's very plausible that that changes. Um, we won't know until we see it on Sunday. But if that changes, it changes the fortunes quite a bit. And I think it is um, it is very, you know, well within the, the realm of possibility that this team is vying for a bowl or close to it this year and is certainly building towards something, you know, um, maybe next year or the year after, but like, we won't know it until we see it on Sunday, but I'm, I'm very open to that, to that perspective. Now, if we get the same, you know, wildcat dumb offense, like we have the last two years, I don't think there's a chance in hell that we win three games or more more than three games. But, um, if we see, if we see some intelligence on that side of the ball, like, like, okay, right. I can buy it. And, and let's not, let's not forget, like, over half of this coaching staff is brand new to Northwestern. Yeah. Right. I mean, like David Braun came in here. We don't know what his defense is going to look like. We can make some guesses based on what uh, his defenses have looked like in the past, but you know, North Dakota state's defense was friggin' awesome the past few years. And he's got nominally better talent as far as, you know, players are concerned playing at Northwestern than he would have at North Dakota state. So that just on, on its, on its surface is, is definitely something to, to be positive about. Um, you know, you've got fresh blood coming in, in a bunch of different places and yeah, there is definitely some institutional garbage that we are dealing with. Uh, and, and we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how much can be, you know, how much can be swept away with with the new blood in here and you know that is definitely something that we could definitely get positive about you know so something we haven't talked about much is um and i i think you know we've been very rightly focused on on the fallout from the summer and um trying to you know be really intentional about talking about the the players on the team that were um, that were victims um, in, in the, the hazing scandal that the, the perspective Lloyd Yates shared around all the players were subjected to this culture and whether they chose to, you know, haze or were subjected to hazing, um, you know, they, 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 they all had to find their place in this culture, et cetera, right? Like stepping past that, I think it is really notable that not a lot of current players transferred from this team. Yes, there were a couple, but there were not a lot. Most, most guys chose to stick it out. And I, there was one comment that Braun made. I mean, he's been, I think he's gotten some pretty, you know, high marks for most of his press conferences. I, I think he's, you know, very much playing a lot of the same cards that Fitz would have played. Um, you know, we talked, obviously we talked about the depth charts off the top, et cetera. But um, I like one thing he talked about very specifically, which, which I appreciate is he talked about how they've been, trying to ensure that this team has opportunities to bond, but that those bonding opportunities are done in a really healthy way. 
and they've been really intentional about that. And like, we, we like these guys, these guys need to be able to have fun. They need to be able to connect to each other as people and as, and as, you know, um, fellow, fellow, uh, school attendees and, 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 uh, student athletes, et cetera. And just talked about how they've been doing that in, in a very intentional way to make sure that it's been, it's been, it's done in a very positive light and in a way to, to help the team bond. And I like, that's really freaking good. And that like, that's not easy in the wake of everything that happened this summer, especially the timing of how, 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 how close before camp and everything else that, um, Braun was installed as a head coach, but, um, I like, I have to think that, that, that that's going to pay dividends. Like, like if, if I, I can't imagine that this locker room is not tighter and more aligned with one another and more on the same page with one another than in past locker rooms. Like I'm making a big assumption there, but given the stuff that we know that was happening, the, the, the last few seasons, like there's, there's reason for optimism just in what we've seen to date around the players that have chosen to stay. And that statement from Braun on the way that they're trying to, to, to bring really healthy team bonding and engagement into this program. And I think that's, I think that's commendable. So there's something that I think is important that I want to fold into that. And it goes with some discussions that we've had with, with frankly, a lot of you who are listening out there <clears throat> and because I think there are going to be some people that are going to listen to what you're saying and they're going to have reactions along the lines of, I don't want to hear that based on what I've heard that these guys did in this locker room and like the way that I'm not seeing them bring up the names of the victims and the stuff like that. And the way that I would respond to that is by simply saying the way we are approaching this and the way we are approaching this is, and I'm glad you brought up the Lloyd Yates thing, we are just approaching this from a perspective of support. We begrudge no one, and and we should come clean and say, right, that like a lot of the people involved in our tailgate have very strong feelings about some of these things. And we have been, and I mean the three of us, have been having to kind of work overtime this year to figure out the machinery of our tailgate for this coming season because people in our extended circle are just are out and are just like I the way that this team has handled this situation I don't want to be a part of it and there are a lot of people in this community like that and we begrudge no one any thoughts along those lines but the way we, we get it I mean we right, get it we get it we totally get it the way we are are approaching this situation and this goes to everything Scuzz just said is from a lens of support. That support starts with the victims. It starts with Lloyd Yates. It starts with Warren Long. Okay, It starts with all of those guys who came clean about the trauma that they went through in their horrible situation. We would love to have those guys show up at the tailgate and give them a beer and say, hey, look, we are here for you. Northwestern Nation supports you and feels bad that you are hurting. We care about those guys, and we want to apply the same caring to all the guys who are on the football team right now. The three of us are not in the business of combing through and being like, I need to know what player did what thing, etc. Look, if there are you out there who want to know these things, we begrudge knowing their opinion, but that's not where we are. We are on 
supporting these guys. And when I look and I'm thinking, look, like these are, I do not have some crystal ball where I can see who did what, etc. I am very conscious of, as Scuzz said, what Lloyd Yates said, that this is a culture that affected everyone, whether they admit it or not. And I am incredibly aware, as we all are aware, this was a nightmare of a summer for every single guy on that team, regardless of everything else. It was a nightmare for every one of those guys, okay? The worst situation. And we're supporting the victims. That means a ton to us. We hope it means a ton to everyone else. And we want to support these guys as well on this team and try to help them through this. And I specifically look at like a guy like Rod Hurd. Rod Hurd is a senior on this team. We really love Rod Hurd. We've watched him play all over practically every position in the back seven at some point for this team. We have talked with his family. They are wonderful people. Um, And this is his last rodeo. And it is happening under the worst of circumstances. And that is someone where we're just looking and we're like, I want to see him have a great season. I want to see it work out for him. And there are a lot of guys that we feel about like that way. So when Scuzz makes comments like this, it's like, that's what we're thinking. Like, we want to see that these that this team has come together. We want to see that they've found a path. We want to see individual guys succeed because we want to support the players. That's what this whole thing should be about is supporting everybody. So anyway, that's, that's my feelings on that. I mean, I, I think that just that sums it up for for me a hundred percent i i completely agree with that um i i do wanted to kind of take us uh take a step back a little bit you know there are other games uh, to talk about and other games to kind of i mean we mentioned off the top the the notre dame win against navy um usc you know beat san jose state pretty bad last week but you know some quite Maybe a couple questions on on our future Big Ten rivals, um, but I, I think the the big game that I don't want to go too deep into, but uh, you know, this is a team that we're going to be seeing in a little bit more than a week, and that's uh, UTEP, who lost to Jacksonville State seventeen fourteen in uh, Jacksonville State's first game in F- FBS. Um, John, you were kind of keeping an eye on that game a little bit. Uh, what did you see out of UTEP? What did you see out of Jacksonville State? What can we maybe look ahead to for our home opener in a week and a half? Yeah, so I did watch way more of this game than any non-UTEP or Jacksonville State person had any right to be watching um, for the exact reason that you brought up. It was really interesting because as, as Scuzz brought up, when we did the UTEP preview, I mean, Dan Dimmel is UTEP's head coach, which is fascinating. Well, Rich Rodriguez is Jacksonville State's head coach. So it was kind of a, a fascinating battle of name coaches in this one. And a couple of my takeaways were, one, UTEP was unbelievably snake bit in this game on offense. They had something like a 70-something yard touchdown pass to open the game called back. Then they had a couple of brutal interceptions that short-circuited drives. And they were definitely the better team in this game overall. And you could kind of see just that they were snake bit. They couldn't get over the hump. But there are a couple big asterisks to that. Um, One is 
their defense. I mean, we talked about the, the theoretically run defense is the strength of this team defensively. And they were really hit on the ground. Jacksonville State ground them down, 44 carries for 208 yards. And really, that was all of Jacksonville State's offense. Jacksonville State had less than 300 total offensive yards, but where they got it, they got it grinding out rushing yards. So that's notable. I mean, again, it's like if that's the kind of thing that we could do, like that that matters. And then in terms of their offense, it was very interesting. They have a couple very fast-looking running backs they didn't strike me as incredibly strong on the offensive line, though. And I know Scuzz has talked about it's a veteran unit, but it it there was definitely the feeling. So their their quarterback Hardison, that guy's got a cannon for an arm. He's got a gun, but he's not quick at getting the ball out. It is a wind up release. He puts his full body into it, and he generates a ton of power out of the throw. But you saw that short circuit UTEP because Jacksonville State was just playing downhill and they were like, we think we can get to you and you take a long time to get the ball out. So we're just bringing heat and we're just going to try to cover these receivers. And it totally worked. It like he had was 17 for 29 for 208. When he completed passes, they went for a bunch with two picks. Yeah, with two picks. But he, I think in addition to those two picks, I think he fumbled once. They really were getting to him. And late in the game, it got down to a final play where basically they had to get one yard. Um, They had to get one yard on two plays. And Jacksonville State, or maybe it was two, but it was short yardage um, in Jacksonville State territory. And Jacksonville State was just like, here's eight to nine guys in the box and single coverage. You throw it to one of those guys. And he couldn't do it. Um, on two plays, and that was the end of the yeah. game. So, well, Jacksonville State did a really good good job on Tyron Smith. So he was a thousand yard receiver for UTEP last year. They held him to, to thirty eight yards on five receptions. They just did a really good job game planning here, and um, you know we'll see if UTEP bounces back next week. They they certainly have you know like in our preview when we looked at this team, we looked at the pieces that they have, the talent they have. We were like, uh oh. This uh, this could get ugly if it if it goes a certain way. Um, that all those pieces are still there, but if there are answers to hold those pieces in check, then that's um, a great outcome potentially for Northwestern in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's you realize like Jacksonville State won this game in a game they threw for sixty seven yards in, and UTEP is really going to feel like they let one get away. Let's hope that's not bad fortune for UTEP and more of an indicator of how we can get to UTEP. Uh, just want to take us through uh, the Big Ten schedule for this week. Uh, we've got a Thursday night game, uh, Nebraska at Minnesota. Minnesota is seven-point favorite uh, at home. Uh, Over-under is 43. Um, Roger Sherman will not be going to this game. He is driving down to uh, Utah, Florida. The Yeah, I'm – this one – if Nebraska beats Minnesota in this game, it's going to be absolutely insufferable. I'm just going to say right, <laughs> right off the bat. But it it really is a litmus test for both of these teams because if this was last year, Minnesota would have beat the brakes off of Nebraska, I feel like. Um, and But they have a lot of turnover, obviously, like on the line, like Ibrahim gone. And, but Nebraska is really 
not operating with a lot of pieces here. They just found out one of their biggest transfer weapons, Eric Gilbert, tight end, is almost certainly not going to be in this game. I think he was arrested for burglary um, yesterday or the day before. Um, so, again, like I, Minnesota's dealing with a lot of turnover. It really feels like Nebraska is not working with a lot here, um, at least certainly on the defensive side of the ball, but, but we'll see. Uh, we got Friday, Michigan State at home against Central Michigan. Uh, Sparty, a 14-point favorite, uh, over under is 45. Then Central Michigan must have been really bad last year. That's my takeaway from that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, Michigan State. Uh, you got on Saturday, 11 a.m. on Peacock, uh, first streaming game, um, Michigan and East Carolina. I'm thinking back to uh, the last time Michigan played on a uh, up-and-coming burgeoning uh, TV network, um, the debut of, of games on the Big Ten network. Oh, a little Heidi, little Heidi game r- action here. R- r- remind me what what happened. Um, Blocked when ah! State came to. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I I hear where you're going, but um, it, it's not, it's not East happening. Carolina and Appalachian State are in extraordinarily different places um, right now. We should mention that Michigan like has twice turned over the coaches who will be coaching in this game because I think it was like Harbaugh, like they self-suspended Harbaugh. And then I think they self-suspended the OC just a couple of days ago. So, Oh, this is something I wanted to talk about. So like, so with Harbaugh suspension, um, they have named who is going to be like standing in for head coach. And yeah, like Marone, the OC was going to take one day. Um, Mike Hart, former running back, um, who's a coach on Michigan is going to be a head coach one game or a co-head coach one day game. And I just like t- more teams should do this, especially for the, their non-conference games where, where the discrepancy is so big, like, because this is invaluable experience for the Mike Hart's of the world Yeah, who like for him to get a shot at actually like being a head coach is, is, and, and owning a game in this way is, um, it's hard. This is this is why there are such problems bringing. I mean, you talk about like like how often do you see NFL teams just hire like the guy that got fired two years ago from somewhere else? And there's there's problems with that from a diversity standpoint. There's problems with that just from like a like bringing new thinking to the game perspective. There's problems from the, with that from like a how entertaining is is this is this is this sport? Like it doesn't serve anything other than like you know your conservative ownership or your conservative athletic director perspective to just do these retrograde hires. And so I, I love, I love that Michigan announced this. Um, I think it's, I think it's there, you know, it's a great way to get some benefit out of um, this, this uh, suspension of Harbaugh with frankly, very, very little risk. So that like, but everybody's playing an FCS team. Like why not, why not give some of these, these more junior coaches an opportunity to, 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 play head coach for a day in some of these games i think it's a fantastic thing that i i would i would love it if some teams just chose to do this uh, not 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 out of suspension necessity you saw mike Vrabel with the tennessee titans did that for uh, one of their preseason games that's a, um, yeah that's you know, awesome a mi- minority coach who you know had not been getting the sniffs uh in, in the interview cycle uh had him coach the game Totally, you know, Vrabel was like off head. He might have had his headset on just to hear what was going on, but he was completely hands off. And it's a preseason game. Doesn't matter. But that's valuable experience. And that's awesome. 
So, you know, begrudgingly good for Michigan for doing that. Um, you know, I, I, again, say that as it's good for the game for more coaches who aren't getting a shot to get a shot. So I'm making the best of a bad situation. It's Michigan. So, you know, I, I, I can't be too excited for Michigan, but it, it's still really cool. Uh, moving on, uh, 11 o'clock Central on FS1, Iowa hosting Utah State. Iowa, 24-point favorite. Uh, 45 how, is the over-under. How many points will Iowa's defense give up in this game? Negative numbers are possible. <laughs> I will say... N- let me think. I will say negative four points. I will say they give up a field goal and they return at least one defensive t- touchdown and give up negative four points. Sounds about right. Uh, you got Fresno State at Purdue. Uh, Purdue, a three and a half point favorite in Ryan Walter's first uh, first game behind the bench uh, for the Boilermakers. Uh, that game's on Big Ten Network. That's a sobering line. That is, I mean, you are talking about Fresno State. I'd have to check. I don't think they were good last year. They were good, um, but they're replacing their QB. Okay. Um, so, but okay, like, so. I mean, but we did the math. Like, Purdue doesn't look good. No, I know. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, again, this is your Big Ten West champion from this past season, and it should give you an idea of just how much turnover there is and the potential they might have way down the road on Northwestern's schedule. Uh, Ohio State at Indiana, uh, 2.30 Central on CBS. Ohio State, a 30-point favorite. That seems low. I don't know. Scuzz, you you tell me which of the Ohio State quarterbacks are they not going to be shutting up about for an entire week afterwards because he <laughs> threw five touchdowns against Indiana. It's going to be one of them. It's um, it's the guy everybody's been expecting it to be uh, who was in competition with Stroud two years ago. Yeah, I'm just like, they're... It's gonna they're gonna massacre Indiana and then everyone's gonna um, be like, Oh, Ohio State not missing a beat. It's like simmer down. Kyle McCord. Yeah, McCord. It's like, oh McCord, five TDs, three hundred and fifty yards, simmer down. Like it's this game means not a thing. Uh two thirty on FS one, Buffalo at Wisconsin. Wisconsin a twenty eight point favorite. Air raid, make it thirty five. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. It's going to be interesting from a scheme perspective. That's the big thing. It's like to see what kind of offense Wisconsin runs in this game. Uh, you got Towson at Maryland, uh, also 2.30 o'clock. Uh, this one's on Big Ten Network. Uh, no line because it's an FCS game. But uh, I would I would say Talia doesn't finish this game because as soon as they get up, they're going to put him on the bench where he's as safe as possible. But he's probably going to carve him up first. Uh, you got uh, West Virginia at Penn State, uh, 6.30 Central on NBC. Uh, Penn State, a 20.5-point favorite over under 50.5. That's, that's a wild line. I mean, West Virginia, I guess, is, is down right now, but um, that's, it's a testament to what people think of Penn State, which is not, it's not undeserved. I mean, again, like they, you might see one or both of those Penn State running backs have a big, a big game in this one. But for two major conference teams playing each other. That's still a heck of a line. I mean, 35-14. Yeah. Seems, yeah. seems very real, realistic. Uh, Toledo at Illinois, also 6.30 start on Big Ten Network. Illinois, a nine-and-a-half point favorite. Over-under is 46. 
That's one of those squirrely ones. I don't know much about Toledo, but I don't know. I'm just, uh, again, it goes to the, the turnover with Illinois and everything. And, and the with a line like that, it kind of implies that Toledo might have a little something that everyone's looking to see with an entire NFL secondary vacated from Illinois, like what that defense looks like now. But I would imagine, based on the way the, the front seven is going to perform for Illinois, that, that they're going to handle that one. So that, that's the Big Ten schedule. Um, I don't obviously don't not going to go through the entire uh, country schedule because that would you know take take all night. But um, you know any any matchups that you kind of want to highlight. I mean, we got games from Thursday all the way, I believe, through Monday night. So you know, well, before we move on from Toledo, like Toledo expected, like Phil Steele has them top of the MAC, uh, the MAC West. So they they return. Most, you know, 16 starters, uh, eight on each side of the ball. So Illinois, should, Illinois might have their hands full. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm like, I mean, again, I am really curious how middle Tennessee is going to fare, not being able to see that Alabama depth chart before the start of the game. <laughs> I, I mean, I middle Tennessee, I, I was feeling good about them, but now they're really flying blind going in. So I, I just don't know how that one's going to break. Florida Utah could could be fun, uh, just because you know Florida never leaves the state of Florida for non conference. Does, does is Utah gonna have a quarterback? Uh, someone will end up under center. <laughs> is is Utah's quarterback altitude? Could be, could be. I'm just scanning through here. I mean, to... the, the one the one that's really you know I'm gonna be tuned in you know very very closely is gonna be the. Uh, Big Fox noon game, uh, 11 o'clock on Fox, Colorado, TCU. Uh, the debut of uh, Deion Sanders as head coach of the Buffaloes. Um, that just for nothing else, let's see what happens when you turn over an entire college football roster. Yeah, I know a lot of people, you, you go around the nation, you see people are really glass half empty on this team this season. I think yeah. everyone really feels like there's still not a lot there. It's not really a referendum on Dion so much as people thinking it's not there, but I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like Colorado might be a little more feisty than people are thinking. And then I know when we were doing the pod poll, I mean, I like TCU lived a they were a talented team with a great quarterback, but they lived a charmed life last season with a bunch of miracle wins. And they're, you almost look at that 17 ranking and you're like, that's a lot of holdover from this past season. And I don't know. Yeah, it might be an interesting game for sure. A Co- couple, um, couple things I picked up from some other some other podcasts, bit, like the biggest concern with with Colorado is they do not have a full roster because there's been so much turnover. Like they have a relatively small roster and they're a very small team, mm. like size wise. A mm. lot of a lot of guys coming over from FCS that just don't have the size, and that's maybe not a huge problem in the Pac-12. But against Pac four, against yeah, or the pack four, but against TCU, yee. yeah, good point. Um, obviously, we'd be remiss. Chris Giannini's out there listening somewhere if we did not bring up the Titanic LSU Florida State LSU? matchup. Yeah, yeah, big game for both of those teams. I feel like it's an even bigger game for Florida State. I feel like this is a team that's been waiting to be back forever. 
that game is going to be a monster environment. And if Florida State were to pull that win out, it'd just be an absolute monster deal for them. I mean, starting in the top 10, the Florida State teams that we grew up with, I mean, like, they're they're dying to get back to that place. But I think with all that, I mean, I think I would root for LSU in this game. But I think those two teams played at the beginning of last season, and it was such a messy game that I didn't have many expectations for either of the teams, and then they both really turned it on. So, um, so you know, that'll be a, an interesting one for sure. I don't expect uh, that... Monday night, that Labor Day Monday night game to be Clemson Duke. That's not exactly the, the most. <laughs> we've we've highlighted, matchup, but we've highlighted plenty though. Just how interesting of a matchup that is. Sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, we're not calling a Duke win, and I'm sure that's going to feel like a Clemson home game for them. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe every everyone from Duke will will turn out, and maybe they'll at least get fifty percent of the capacity. But. Duke is a very good football team that is catching a Clemson team that is very much in transition right now. I know Clemson's still stacked with talent, but it's that's going to be a very interesting game at night, you know, with a lot of eyeballs on it. Going to fire up ESPN Plus on uh, Saturday night at 8 o'clock for the incarnate word UTEP game just to get a little more scouting in on the minors. Yeah, uh, well, our Incarnate Word carved a ton of teams up last year, last week, and uh, I have a feeling that uh, Incarnate Word ain't no Jacksonville State, and UTEP's going to have to right the ship really quickly here. Um, we, we mapped out that UTEP plays an absolute dumpster fire of an overall schedule, but Incarnate Word is not one of those teams. But if UTEP does play really well against Incarnate Word, we'll see kind of what they're capable of doing when they're playing good football. Uh, anything else to, to touch on before we uh, call it a night here, guys? I mean, the only other thing I'll throw out, women's soccer open the season with a win. Men's soccer open with a win. Volleyball open with wins. Field hockey open with wins. So fall sports are off to a start. Yeah. Hey, we all made it through this summer. May we all be, you know, may we all have something to, to celebrate about when when next we meet for for the yeah. next pod let let let's let it happen we've all earned it come on give us something positive here let's see this team start the season out the right way all right so with that we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight uh, head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at westlotpirates and email the show westlotpirates at gmail.com Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.